In this episode of Dream and Love, I had the pleasure of interviewing artist, activist, and fellow vegan, Phil America. He even decided to ask me some of my own questions. <laughs> Enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me. I so appreciate you being down to be part of my podcast. I admire you so much. I love seeing the things that you do, and it's great to have you here. Thank you for uh, having me. We're going to, yeah. Um, we're going to start with some very simple questions. I want to start with hard color? questions. Can we start with hard questions? You want to start with hard questions? Yeah, we can do this backwards if yeah, you want. Yeah, let's do this backwards and we'll end it with my favorite color. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, what is your current biggest dream? Biggest dream? Ooh. Um, yeah. Dream being an aspiration, not like when I fall asleep and what comes. Yes, um, being an aspiration, yes. Ooh, biggest aspiration. Damn. Um, I don't know. I mean, for me, the things that really inspire me is seeing the people around me succeed. And so, like, the things that I do that make me the most happiest are where I'm able to, like, leverage opportunities for myself to be able to help out others and things like that. So, I mean, my biggest dream is always just seeing other people being able to achieve their dreams and having a hand in that, whatever that looks like, behind the scenes, walking the road with them, whatever it may be. But I would say my biggest dream is just to see the people around me find all the success that they want. That's so great. I love that. What is your current smallest dream? Smallest dream? Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. That's such a tough question. Um, <laughs> I want to, I want to eat healthier because I eat tons of snacks. As soon as midnight comes around, I start eating snacks. So I would say my smallest <laughs> dream would be to stop eating snacks. <laughs> what kind of problems. snacks do you like to eat? Oh my God. Anything <laughs> vegan, obviously. So um, chips, unfortunately. I mean, there's going to be friends of mine that hear this that give me so much shit, but they already give me shit when they come over and see all the snacks. So I would say, you know, literally anything sweet, anything salty, anything snacky, I fucking love. Okay. If you only had to have one sweet and one salty snack and you had to give up the rest, which ones would you keep? I love those. Like if I have to think, because there's things that I really, really love. And then there's things that are kind of specific, <clears throat> um, but I could eat them all the time. So I would say something sweet. I'm going to say watermelon. Like I fucking mm -hmm. love to slice up some watermelon, have it. And I don't feel super guilty about eating it at two in the morning. Um, <laughs> and then something salty. I'm going to say jalapeno chips. Ooh, disgusting really i know <laughs> it is really good that's the, that's the unfortunate part you know what i mean those are yeah those are some great choices you're making my mouth water <laughs> <laughs> good um if you had an infinite amount of money how would you spend your time oh um i mean i don't think that i would change anything to be honest i mean i don't money isn't usually what guides me and it isn't usually what dictates my time of course, if I had more of it, I would probably employ more people and then um, focus on different things. And because right now I get stuck dealing with some of the smaller stuff instead of being able to think larger. So I, I guess if I had an infinite amount of money, I would employ people to do some of the smaller stuff that I, I hate doing. But essentially, I would do the same thing. <laughs> what are those small things that you don't like doing? Oh, my God. Answering emails answering messages it's just i mean i'm sure you deal with it probably more than me and with more annoying things than me but 
mean, my problem is people look at me and they know that I'm an artist. They know I work a little bit in fashion, a little bit in design, things like that, but they don't really know exactly what I do unless they're close to me or unless they have a, like a really strong understanding of art or fashion or both. And even if they do, they don't usually have an understanding of both. So it's most people don't know exactly what I do. And then they want something from me. They just don't know what it is. So it's like, hey, Phil, um, I need this thing. I want this thing. Can you introduce me to this person? And it's never anything that like benefits me or anybody around me. It's always like, can you do this for me? And those things are exhausting because I never want to be the asshole that just leaves somebody on red or ignores somebody. I know even if it's them asking for something, I still don't want to just flat out ignore them, but it takes so, I spend like an hour minimum every day just answering emails to people I don't know, let alone the people that I'm working with and all that stuff. So I think just kind of managing the, the stuff that, you know, keeps the day going would be what I would put somebody to work to. Good idea. <laughs> um, if okay, let me see. If you could make up any law, and this law would be like throughout the entire world, and mm-hmm. it would it would happen. What law would you make up? I would make a law that prisons are illegal. I would abolish prisons. That would be a number one. I love that. Great choice. Um, Can we say sex work is sex work is legal for number two? <clears throat> Oh yeah, please. <laughs> what would be what would Do be the law you would come up with? Um honestly, I just I mean UBI just for everybody mm. all over the place. Everyone deserves money. Right. Especially um, when like the majority of the world lives in extreme poverty and we're <laughs> where there's like 35 people with all the money. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Oof. Little money could go a long way if it's distributed to everyone. <laughs> that is very true. <clears throat> we got to go for Jeff Bezos. Got to take his fucking money. How has nobody extorted <laughs> him of all the money yet? I know the ex-wife got a lot. I like kudos to her, but somebody's got to take his his, his phone away. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> he should be allowed to be out there doing whatever the fuck he's doing. <laughs> We'll take prisons away, except for maybe him. Put him in a timeout, at least. At least a timeout, like a dunce cap and like put him in a corner. (laughs) How do you like to celebrate or reward yourself when you reach your goals or accomplish things? Um, I don't usually celebrate, to be honest. And it's kind of something that I have been thinking a lot more about recently. Um, You know, seeing the people around me who I uh, look up to, I guess would be the best way to say it. Um, celebrate the wins that they have and knowing how important wins are, especially in, you know, in this time and this, this age um, where we have so few wins and we fight so hard for every, every win. I feel like celebrating is really, really important. And up until now, I have not done a good job of, of celebrating, celebrating wins, even, even if the wins are seeing other people win, for example, or, you know, being able to empower somebody else, I still don't celebrate that. I take, I just, keep it moving usually and I know I need to do a better job of celebrating so if you have any advice I'm, I'm here for it <laughs> well if you were to celebrate what would your celebration look like mm, I don't know I mean probably like take some me time you know and do something that's pleasurable for myself I think that like I, I don't know if you've ever read Andrew Marie Brown's pleasure activism but it just it really brings home the fact that we need to to take care of ourselves and like you can't be a good activist 
can't be a good accomplice. You can't be a good artist. You can't be good at anything you're doing if you don't take the time to take care of yourself and be strong enough mm-hmm. to do the work that you're doing. Then at, at the same time, like celebrating at the end of it is really, really important. And I think that for me, I just don't have much time where I slow down. So I think celebrating for me would look like just literally slowing down for a minute, you know, to go into the spa or, you know, I'm getting a massage or whatever, whatever it may be that seems very simple, but would be, would be so rewarding for me because I just never have the free time, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, self-care really is everything. I I feel you. There's, you can't really to give it. to others if you're not if you're not filling your own cup first. That is very true. Um if you had a million dollars and you had to spend it all right now on yourself, what mm. would you what would you buy? Probably a big ass house somewhere where nice. I wouldn't go every day. Like a second house where I could escape to and it be there and have things there and art on the walls and feel like it's mine and it's you know in a in a city or outside a city that I don't go to every day like a celebration house (laughs) exactly that's where I'll celebrate nice I like that if you had a million dollars and you had to spend it right now on other people what would you spend it on oh man I mean I spend a a good majority of the money that comes in on other people, which obviously is on myself as well, because the success of others leads to the happiness of myself. Um, And it makes a better world, obviously, which is the world that I live in. So obviously it all comes back to me as well. Um, So I think I would probably just put it more into the things that I'm already doing and supporting the people who I believe in. So if I had to think of just naming one thing off the top, Maybe I donate it to a animal rights organization. Nice. I love that. Um, so it sounds like you don't have that much free time, but what is your favorite way to spend the free time that you do have? Damn. You know what's really funny? I was I like complain about this and I'm gonna like go off on a side rant, so feel free to cut this out later, but <laughs> I just think it's funny because every time I do any type of interview podcast, it doesn't matter what the podcast is about. It doesn't matter what the the magazine or what publication is about. It's always the same questions. And you have asked me only different questions. And I love this because I complain about this all the time. So oh. <laughs> I should have better answers nice. for you is the point of this. But um, <laughs> what was your question? Sorry. <laughs> um. Uh- so what is your favorite way to spend the free time that you do have? Favorite way to spend free time? I don't know. Like literally doing nothing. Like, I love just watching like kind of vapid shit on Netflix or Hulu or any, <laughs> you know, XYZ. It's just like such a guilty pleasure. I'm not, not full like 90 day fiance bad, but you know, whatever, whatever shitty Netflix show, comedy show I can find and just kind of like zonk out and eat chips and, and do nothing is the ideal nothingness for me. I love that. Do you have a go-to right now for the show or whatever content you're consuming? Ooh, right now I'm watching a show that I wouldn't recommend. Um, it's The Oroville, <laughs> which is kind it's okay. To say the most. I love Seth MacFarlane. Um, He's, I, I love it, uh, you know, American Dad and Family Guy mm-hmm. and all that shit he does. And this show is is mediocre at best, uh, unfortunately. But if I could think of something to recommend, I would say uh, the best thing I've seen during COVID was The Night Of, 
which is a HBO show. It's a mini series, incredible, incredible show, tackles a whole bunch of issues and in a very nuanced and layered way that I don't think a lot of other shows a get to and b attempt to. So that, that would be, if, if anybody's listening for a recommendation, I would say everybody should watch the night of. I'll have to check that out. Thank you. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Maitha El Hassan um, is somebody who is, first of all, absolutely incredible. Second of all, is the person who recommended it to me. So shout out to her. <laughs> nice. What is the biggest dream that you've had that has already come true? Oh my gosh. <clears throat> it's funny because I, I was asked this question years ago in a book and I had like, there was a publication where they interviewed all these different artists and I had had a number of dreams at that point or goal, let's say goals for a different word. And I had all these goals mm-hmm. and I kind of like, I literally had them written down and I had checked them, literally checked them all off. And, you know, maybe my dreams are too small, but that said, I had, you know, kind of accomplished all the goals that I had. And somebody asked me that question, Hey, like what goals do you have? And I was, my answer was, Hey, I've literally accomplished every single goal. And they said, well, what keeps you going? And I said, pure vanity, <laughs> which people still <laughs> give me shit about because it's so like indicative of me, but the opposite of me at the same time. But if I had to think of one big one, um, I mean, one, one really important one to me, which is the one that I think nobody else outside of my hometown, A, cares about and B, even knows anything about it. Um, is I really wanted to do something with uh, the sports team from my hometown, which is the Sacramento Kings. And I'm from Sacramento and we only have one sports team. We don't have football, baseball, anything like that. And I don't like sports really with the exception of my one team and I'm hyper obsessed with them. So I'm like a total (laughs) fan. We're fucking terrible. We have not been in the playoffs. I mean, I'm sure this is way over your head, but we haven't been in the playoffs for a very long time. And like literally uh, almost half my life since we haven't been in the playoffs. And, you know, I had the dream to work with them and due to their incredible creative director, Ryan Brees, I was able to, and we did a few different things like a permanent sculpture in the arena and some merch and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of stuff, while it doesn't help my career at all, um, nobody outside of Sacramento really knows or cares, even who the team is, let alone, that I did these things. But like, for me, it's something that, you know, my, my 13 year old self would have been happy. So as long as I'm making him That's happy, really I'm cool. good. Yeah. I love that. I so love that. Congratulations. You? Thank you. Is there something that like you're, that you had a dream of that you really accomplished and are happy about? Um, oh man, <laughs> I just didn't think you were going to ask me this question. <laughs> um, I guess just being able to like run my own business and not have to rely on really like a boss, right. just like work from home, That's uh, so just making art and stuff. Yeah, oh, and definitely. There's, there's not enough good. emphasis and and appreciation put on those things to not have to answer to anybody is the best thing in the world. Oh my God, it so is. Yeah. It's freedom. It's freedom. I mean, we all work, you know, everything we do is is collaborative. And I, you know, I talk to a lot of artists who think that they're just because they're alone in the studio painting something that they're doing something on their own. But it's like, no, you didn't do that on your own. There's, you know, there's all of this 
references, all this self-referential stuff and um, from the art world embedded into it, whether it's theory or artists that came before you or artists that are working alongside you, as well as like the people that mis- mixed the pigments and came up with the color theories and stretched the canvas and things are, everything we do is so collaborative and, and we do everything together. So that, I mean, we don't do anything alone, but not having to have a boss and being able to say the word no, and there be no, no pressure in saying no is just so beautiful. Yes, yes. I love that. I love how you mentioned just every part of the collaboration, like everything comes from somewhere. Somebody made every part of it. I mean, somebody came up with the language that that we're speaking, you know, and um, for worse, it's just like we, we have to acknowledge that we're not doing anything alone. And I think that people get caught up in thinking that they can do something on their own and that there's some, you know, glory in that. But at the end of the day, like we have to appreciate and acknowledge all the people that put in the work to get us to where we are. And that's, that's, yes. that makes everything collaborative just in and of itself. Yes. I so appreciate that. Um, when you're making art and doing things, is there, do you like listening to music or podcasts? Is there anything that you like to consume while you're making the art or are you just kind of in silence, just letting it happen? It kind of depends on what it is. Um, a lot of the work that I do is very multi-layered, to put it simply. So in other words, I'll have, you know, there'll be elements of sound, there'll be elements of, of video or photo, there's maybe text, there's, you know, there's everything is is layered, whether it's an installation or whether it's something you're, you're seeing on a t-shirt, you know, ev- literally every project that I approach is never just one simple layer. There's always um, a lot of concept embedded in it as well. And so I oftentimes have to work in silence because I have to pay attention to all the different elements that are coming at me, whether it's, hey, I need to listen to the sound and make sure that lines up with what you're looking at in the video. Um, but when I'm just simply doing something that's very repetitive and don't have you know, an assistant in the studio helping, um, you know, at that point, then I'll, I'll put on some crappy music in the background to listen to. So it's usually something kind of like uh, like a Drake or something, something in the background that doesn't make me think, you know. Nice, <laughs> crappy music. That's yeah, that's the easy way to put it. No disrespect to Drake, but it's just you know stuff that's you know pop. Let's say pop. Nice. Um, okay. If you were a flavor of ice cream, what flavor would you be? Well, it'd definitely be a vegan one. Um, and right now, uh, you know, I'm in LA and there's these billboards everywhere for, that are made by Oatly, who obviously has some of the best marketing and they, you know, in LA, Froyo is such a thing, right? Frozen yogurt. And there's all these no-yo billboards, which just somehow make me laugh. So maybe I'd be like a no-yo flavor, even though I haven't tried it yet. It's going to be something that, <laughs> something that just makes everybody kind of chuckle and nobody cares about. That would be my vibe. But what specific flavor of Noyo? Because like, specific? it has to be, you have to I'm have gonna flavor. Go, I'm going to go vanilla since I'm like a little bit basic. <laughs> like, I, have, <laughs> I, have, I have basic tendencies, you know? Nice. Vanilla Noyo. I like vanilla it. Vanilla <laughs> Noyo, yeah. I don't even know if that's what it's called or if that's just what the billboards say, but they're literally everywhere. I love that. <laughs> um, how long have you been vegan? Uh, longer than most people I know have been alive. <laughs> um, 
I am right now 37 years old and I've been vegan. I've been vegetarian. I was vegetarian when I turned three. So, you know, 30 wow. something years. And then vegan when I turned 14. So like 13, 14, right around there. Um, so I guess if we do the math, 20, more than 25 years, 24 years. That's so cool. Long time. That's awesome. Long enough. So to is your family... Time. Yeah, yeah. Is your family also vegan or vegetarian? Is that uh, is that well, why you went vegetarian so soon? Yeah, my mom is vegetarian, and she has been her whole life, which is first of all incredibly wow. inspiring. Just to see somebody who's never, you know, never eaten somebody else like that's just something that's yeah. really beautiful. And I think most people don't even understand what that's like. Like even I've eaten animals when I was two, one, two years old, and my parents split when I was three. And so that at that point, um, they made an agreement that, hey, if me, I had a brother, I have a brother who's three years apart from me. So right when he was born, they kind of made the agreement that you know, if I wanted to eat meat, um, I could. If I didn't want to, I didn't have to. And I once I kind of realized what it was and was like able to understand that it was an animal, I immediately didn't want to eat meat anymore. And so I haven't eaten meat since then. And my brother... My um, mom, so my mom's vegetarian, and then my mo- my brother is vegetarian also, and he's been vegan off and on, and he's extremely like conscious of where he gets his food from and stuff like that. And um, Nick, if you're listening, um, this is my call to action for you. You better go fucking vegan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he he eats meat. My I have another brother, and he he's like pescatarian, I think. I'm not sure where he's at right now. Sometimes he's vegetarian. Sometimes he's not. He kind of fluctuates. Well, that's amazing. That's so cool that you have been vegan for that long. I I applaud you. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Thank you. How long have you been vegan? Uh, a little over 12 years. <sighs> that's a long time. That's long enough to know the struggle. <laughs> you know the struggle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like now it's-, it's like if you're not vegan, you're just an asshole. And before yeah. it's like... It was hard to be vegan. You're like the only vegan that you know for a while. <laughs> Shit. I didn't know what the word was. Like when I, I remember when I became vegan, like I realized what, um, and stop me if I'm telling you too much information, but I, I kind of realized that where this, this food was coming from and realized that, Hey, well, okay. You take the milk from the cow. And like, in order to do that, a cow has to be raped and you have to take the calf away Mm -hmm. and then you still have to kill the animal at the end. And it's almost, it almost Mm -hmm. becomes worse, you know? I mean, obviously these are the same industries, so it's not like one is worse than the other. It's all one and the same. But at the end of the day, I was like, okay, well I'm implicit whether I'm eating the meat or drinking the milk in the exact same way. And so once I kind of realized that I had an awakening and I was like, okay, what do I do now? And I remember I wrote to PETA when I was like 13 And they wrote me back. I wrote them and I said, hey, do you have any information on veganism and or on being vegan? And they wrote me back and they were like, hey, sorry, we don't really have anything right now. We can send you a vegetarian starter kit. And now it's obviously the vegan starter kit that you can order for free. But at the time it was vegetarian. And they were just like, hey, but keep going. We appreciate you, et cetera. So, you know, to see things have how far they've come is just incredible. And then, you know, now now where I'm at seeing everybody 
it's, it's like there's so much access to vegan food it's so easy to be vegan it's a thousand times more healthy obviously way better for the environment it's you know there's a million reasons why everybody can and should be vegan but there's not really anything holding you back from being that being vegan and having access to how to have a healthy vegan diet either so it's it's beautiful where we're at right now i agree it's it's so cool just seeing how far it's come and that's amazing that they only had the vegetarian starter yeah, it's, kit. It's crazy. I mean, I have a few them. friends uh, at PETA and I've worked with them a few times and they, uh, yeah, we've, we've joked about that a, few, <laughs> a couple of times because it's just, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> wild to see how far it's come. And I, hopefully it comes to a point where it's past me and where I'm, I'm having to play catch up. You know what I mean? So I know a lot yeah. of people are right now and you know, it's like everybody has their own kind of trigger, I guess would be the word I'd use for what makes them care and then care enough mm -hmm. to make that change. I think everybody obviously knows how these animals are treated and, you know, that the animals don't deserve to be treated that way and, um, and all of that. And then I, and that, that to me is the reason I'm vegan. Like all the other things of course are important to me, but you know, I still buy too many things and do stuff that's, that's harmful to the environment or to my health, obviously. So it's not like I'm perfect around everything, but when it comes to animals rights and, ability to live a free and happy life like i don't want to get in the way of that in any way whether it's what i eat what i wear etc so um seeing the, the different triggers with different people and the ability now to kind of talk about all of those different things is so incredible because in the past it was like some kind of weird esoteric hippie thing where like i said i didn't even know the word i thought it was vegan you know because i was like veg <laughs> and in my research in the beginning like finding where this word came from it came from a guy who the guy who coined the term was like it's the beginning and the end of vegetarianism you know so it's like we took the, so for me i was like it's vegan you know and there's no internet really at this point so <laughs> um yeah i mean now to see it where you have people going vegan because of their own health or because of the environment or because they find out that almost all the lobbying money goes to republicans etc you know like there's people mm -hmm. i know who went vegan literally because they're like i i'm tired of paying money to put Trump in office, you know? And if you if you call yourself a liberal and you eat meat, you're not a liberal. It's just point blank, period. If you mm -hmm. call yourself a liberal and you eat eggs, you're not a liberal. Like you're literally paying for these politicians to get into office and take away our rights. And I take that personally. I have friends who don't have passports, who don't, who are women, who are trans and who are affected by these things. And if you're spending money to put them in office, th there's a problem with that. And so, now that you have people making those changes because of they saw game changers or because they saw something about like what the health or because they saw conspiracy, you know, all, whatever the trigger is that makes them go vegan, the, the fact that we have all of these different things out there trying to reach people and meet them where they're at is just so beautiful. I agree. It's such a spectrum of veganism. It's it is. beautiful. It is. And like I said, I mean, in the beginning, I mean, I'm sure what you can remember, it was really only about animal rights which is like i said for me the thing that is the most important but like i said it's mm -hmm. all, the environment's also important the you know keeping these assholes out of office is also important you know like these things are extremely important to you know if you believe in something then you should live it and i feel like right mm -hmm. now there's so many people you know posting a black square and talking about how much they care about racial justice but then not doing anything to fight against people who are taking pe like people of color's rights away or doing things that are harmful to, to people of color. And so I think it's like, if you actually care about something and you're going to talk about caring about something, you also have to do something, you know, and that that's forgotten 
in all of it. Like people don't realize that the root word of activism is act and there needs to be action, not just a post or a tweet or, you know, a kind of like performative activism. It needs to be real, actual activism, you know? I so agree just about aligning those actions with your beliefs. Yeah. yeah so yeah, important. Absolutely. It's definitely important and it's, it's forgotten. It's lost on people, sadly. Yeah. I so appreciate that you're vegan for the animals. Um, me too. It's, I mean, to me, it just feels like common sense. It's common sense. But I mean, yeah. If you can, if so you can I so eat, if I like go to somebody and I say, here's two, two choices. One choice, somebody dies. The other choice, nobody dies. Which one do you choose? The fact that people choose somebody dies for their taste buds is fucking shocking. <sighs> to me. For their convenience is shocking to me. And it's like, the same it's the same exact people who will call the dog call the cops on you if you're kicking a dog you know and like you see them yelling at you for kicking the dog in their leather shoes and it's just like it doesn't where is the disconnect there where is the disconnect in like the wild extreme abuse that happened to the the animal that's on your feet but this other animal is somehow you're standing up and protecting it and to me what what stands out with that is like obviously capitalism has taken people's ability to see what's actually happening to the, the the clothes they're wearing or the food that they're eating so they don't have to fully acknowledge it but people know mm -hmm. you know people know where it comes from it's not like they think it's a plant they know that it's an animal mm -hmm. they know the animals suffer and so when it comes down to that I, th I just feel like people need to do a better job of, of making the right choice and they know what the right choice is if they think that a dog or a cat doesn't deserve to be hurt or a human doesn't deserve to be hurt they should feel the same way about a cow. And if they, you know, it, it, unless they just are simply don't give a shit about anything and they're a total misanthrope, like then they should live by what they say and not be so speciesist where they create, you know, these, these hierarchical forms of supremacy in their mind. Like supremacy cannot exist under any form and it can't definitely can't exist when it comes to human supremacy. And for some reason, humans think that we can destroy our environment, we can destroy others' environment, we can destroy animals' lives and, and ability to live a free and happy life and and just get away with it because we can, because we have supremacy over other beings. It just it doesn't it doesn't add up for me, you know? Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, we're really killing ourselves by killing others because Absolutely. it destroys the environment and I mean, it's not really good for health anyway to eat it's animals, not. so. And it's like, I, I mean, I live in California and this place is on fucking fire. Literally right now, there's fires in my state because of the fact that people eat animals. There was that whole thing, I don't know, I guess it was last year when everybody was posting, save the rainforest, save the rainforest. And it's like, the rainforest uh, is on fire, be literally one-to-one -one because cattle that is killed for Europe and America. And yet you're screaming, scream the rainforest yeah. while your <laughs> next post is... Is you at the steakhouse or you fucking eating the, the beef taco, you know? It just doesn't Oh up. my God. I know. I, that's funny. I actually tweeted something around that time. I was like, you can't say that you care about the Amazon if you're not vegan. And I got so much shit for it. Oh, but man, like, yeah. I mean, that's like, just people trying on. to defend their own choices, you know? People are so yeah. insecure. Yeah, exactly. Oof. Sometimes I'll see environmentalists too, barely even mentioning anything about veganism or I, you re, how can you really be an environmentalist if you're not vegan? <laughs> That's what's really funny. I saw, I, I don't remember where I saw this and I'm probably going to get the percentage wrong, but I remember it was like minimum of 80% of people in America 
call themselves environmentalists when asked. And so everybody <laughs> seems to care about the environment, you know, and yet they don't, it's just like people's belief system, their moral code, their moral compass, their, you know, what their, their values never line up with their actions. And that's where the problem mm-hmm. lies. It's like, if you know, this is wrong, then just don't do it. If you know, this is mm-hmm. wrong, fight against it, you know? And I just think that people know it's wrong. You know, people know this, these things are wrong and they just don't care. And it's like, there's, there's mm-hmm. somebody on the other end of that. And that somebody may be a cow, that somebody may be a person of color who's having to flee their, their home country because of, because of climate, um, climate change that, you know, there's so many different things. And even here in, in LA, we have a, a big factory farmer Johns where a number of uh, organizations are, are, constantly trying to shut it down and holding vigils for the animals who are being killed. And when you, when you look at this, it's literally polluting and killing black people in South LA Mm -hmm. and yet nobody seems to give a shit. And it's like, don't, don't come here holding your sign that says black lives matter when you're literally killing them. You know, you go and you get your Dodger dog and that is killing people and you still don't care. So Mm -hmm. it's just, I I think the people who stay quiet and are just assholes, it's like, okay, you're an asshole. Great. Go be an asshole vote for who you want to vote for, do what you want to do. You're, that small percentage of people are never going to change. But the majority of people seem to consistently say that they care and then just not follow through with the actions. And I think that that, that shift needs to come soon where people's actions align with their beliefs. I so agree. I think so many people tend to think, oh, maybe if we just wait around, the government will finally like make a change that will help the environment but so many people don't realize that if you just make a couple of changes in your own life that's going to add up if we're all doing it absolutely and it's like they always want to point the finger at at you know corporations and at politicians and say hey you guys got to fix everything you got to fix everything and it's like then at the same time yelling about their own individual sense of power and rights and it's like it it can't be both ways and we are mm-hmm. absolutely implicit in everything that's happening, all of it, whether that's a politician or whether that's, you know, whatever it may be. I, I am part of the reason that a guy like Donald Trump can get into office. And I, me, myself, needs to do a better job to dismantle systems that allow that kind of stuff to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think we just need to, we need to stand better together and fight against these, these issues altogether. I agree. I so appreciate your sense of empowerment and how you use that to empower others too. I so appreciate that. Well, thank you. Says the person who's literally having me on their podcast. <laughs> so I would say you're definitely empowering me at this moment. <laughs> well, I mean, you're still empowering people too. So <laughs> it doesn't mean that you're not just because I am. Um, what is your favorite art that you've ever made? Um, damn, that's, it's really tough because I think about like, there's so many, the word favor obviously is something that like we get caught up in, in the West and, and it's tough to think about that word. It feels very daunting, but, um, you know, like in terms of the impact it's had, I would say my favorite would probably be, um, I don't know if I would call this an artwork, but I uh, I work often with an organization called POPS, which stands for Pain of the Prison System. And it's high school kids, all of whom who are affected by the prison system, meaning that like mother, father, brother, sister, cousin um, is incarcerated. 
And so these kids obviously don't really have a space or the ability to talk about what they're going through. And so we've had this class for like six years in a whole number of high schools around the country. And I teach at one of them here in LA. And then I help on the organizational side on the back end as well. And what we do is like hold space and, and encourage them and help them with writing and photography and other forms of art, but mainly creative writing. And um, at the end of it, we publish a book at the end of every year that is in every Barnes and Nobles and on Amazon and in smaller bookstores and stuff. And so all of these kids are able to leave as a published writer. And that, you know, like I, I helped with the design in the last one. I mean, I designed the whole thing with uh, another female artist named Dorian Lind. And, you know, that in and of itself is just so beautiful to me because it's so many, you know, obviously, even if you're just a, a normal high school kid who, you know, has it easy, you still leave high school with very little, you know, compared to the next person. You just start, you get your high school degree and you keep it moving. And to be able to leave as a published writer and um, somebody who's been able to talk about and work through some of these issues to me is something that I'm really proud of. So that to me would maybe be my favorite in terms of its impact. Then in terms of just like what I love for myself, I think um, I would have to say it's usually the project that I have coming up next. <laughs> so I'm working on one thing right now with a buddy of mine named Colin Mitchell, who's incredible director, art director. Um, and he works mostly in the commercial space right now. And yeah, he used to do a lot of stuff in theater in the past. And so he and I right now, he, he's just like absolutely brilliant and f- hilarious. And we're working on a project around Farmer John's, the slaughterhouse that I told you about, um, which is owned by Smithfield, which is a very evil corporation, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a meat company, obviously. And so around this, they have this mural that is uh, done by a painter who used to paint set movie sets back in the day, like in the 50s. And so he started painting this mural and it took him 11 years and he actually died before he finished it. And even crazier is that he uh, actually died painting it. Like he fell off the scaffolding and on the 11th year. And so other people finished (laughs) it up. But what's the wildest thing about this mural is that, and it's been written up in Vice and LA Times and stuff, the mural itself, is that it shows this kind of picturesque, beautiful farm setting with all of these pigs having a great old time with the farmers and the kids. And, you know, there is, it's the exact opposite of what's happening inside. Like there's one wearing a Dodger hat, even though the pigs inside are being sent to a gas chamber and having their throats slit and then sent off, you know, ground up and then sent to be Dodger dogs. It's like the irony is is certainly not lost on me. And so our, what we're doing right now is we're creating kind of like a, um, the way that Colin describes is it a lot better. So forgive me, but basically kind of a a digital graffiti. So it'll work via AR augmented reality where people will be able to use their phone and kind of hold it up looking at the mural. And then all of a sudden the the pigs will start talking and moving and, you know, there will be, um, I don't want to give too much of it away, but there'll be kind of uh, a multitude of different issues that they'll tackle within the mural. And the mural itself is like very kind of cartoonish, so it allows a kind of a simpler and more lighthearted entry point to some very serious topics. Um, obviously, you know, tackling, you know, the animal rights issues that are happening within this space and within the trucks that are being brought in, as well as, you know, the over 300 COVID cases that they've covered up, the LA Times mm-hmm. has done huge reports on. 
um, and the fact that these workers have horrible conditions, almost all of which are, are people of color, many of which are undocumented, under fear of if they have anything to say about the conditions um, getting reported to ICE. Then you have, you know, the fact that it's polluting the, the black neighborhood, as I mentioned, um, as well as anybody who lives in, in the neighborhood around there. It's in an extremely corrupt part of town, which is Vernon, um, population 110 people, meaning that that's pretty much all politicians and their families. So it's just purely corrupt. There's no there's no coalition of people to build up and, and try to stop it. So the, the politicians have nobody to answer to but themselves. So they don't have mm-hmm. to answer to like constituents who say, hey, I don't want you know, black smoke billowing out into my air that my kids are breathing, even though this place is, mind you, like in the shadow of downtown LA, it's, you know, 10 minutes from downtown. And so we're kind of like addressing all of those issues, but using this, this mural as the vehicle to do so, so that we can, you know, bring people in to address these serious issues in a kind of, you know, fun, lighthearted way. So that's, that's, that, so cool. that's my favorite that's- right now. So. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I love that you're working on your favorite thing currently. Yeah, it's it's usually that way. I usually try to make it whatever I want to do is exactly what I want to be doing. And then, uh, you know, by the end of it, you usually hate it. <laughs> you, know, guess, you know, you take all the all the scars that come along with, with trying to do something, you know, like I work almost every like big project I do. I work with a buddy of mine named Trey Borden and uh, he's an arts producer, just absolutely incredible, incredible friend of mine as well um but you know the, the the punches he has to take from and the nose he has to get and the hurdles he's got to go over and the, the bureaucracy it's just it's it's a lot and so by the end of every project when it when it opens when it's installed when it's released when it's sold like by then i usually hate it sadly so but at least it keeps <laughs> on me to the working, next favorite. You know? on to the next thing on to the next finding the new thing you know <laughs> Well, those are some really cool favorites. Thank you for sharing those with me. Of course. Uh, this is kind of a weird question. Oh, uh, do you, what is your favorite smell? Favorite smell? I thought I thought the question was going to be sexual. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> smell. Oh wow. I mean, I could answer that very sexually because that would probably be the <laughs> real answer. But I'm gonna I'm gonna breathe by that. I'm gonna say favorite smell <laughs> is. Um, like I love the smell at night. I just, I mean, I'm so much more of a night person and I work at night cause I work with people in Asia often and stuff. So, um, yeah, I would say just like the smell when you go outside at night and there's no cars on the street and the moon is out mm-hmm. and it's quiet, but you're in a city where there should be people everywhere. And it's just, mm-hmm. everything smells and feels and looks and sounds very, very peaceful, but in a, in a crazy chaotic environment that would be so in the day, you know? I love that. Definitely one of my favorites too. Just that calmness. Oh, I thought you were going to say the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your favorite food? Favorite I already asked your favorite food. snack, but just food in general. Like cuisine or dish? Um, both. Okay. I mean, it's so dish is so tough because I feel like a good dish of something of anything can be amazing, you know? So Mm -hmm. I don't know if I have a favorite dish. There's things that I love because they're nostalgic. Like I love my mom's avocado toast. Something that she makes, she makes like (laughs) a broccoli salad too with like a vegan mayo and stuff. Like those things I love just because of the nostalgia attached to it. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And that goes back to smell too. It's like when I smell those things, it takes me back and just like reminds me how much I love my mom. Um, and yet I think when I think about like specifically now, I don't know, but cuisine, I would say probably Thai or Italian. Mm. Cause I think it's really hard to go wrong with either of those. Like you can, you know, I lived in Thailand for like almost three years. And I think the food in Thailand and then Thai food everywhere else is pretty comparable. And you can't say that about any other cuisine. Like you have it in the country. It's always the best. And with Thai food, there's Thai food in, in the U.S. that is as good as as Thai food in Thailand. That's great. Those are some really good choices. You're making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm very hungry right now. <laughs> um, all right. So I'm going to ask you your favorite color, but this isn't the last question. I actually have two more. Okay. Favorite color is purple. So what is your that's that's the easy Ooh. one. Oh. I mean, uh, so, do you know why it's your favorite color? Do you have a reason? Yeah, um, and it ties back to to where I'm from. So, Sacramento basketball team is the Sacramento Kings. Their colors are purple and silver. So, um, yeah, basically that's the reason why. And it used to be a really that's like cool. kind of ugly Barney purple. Like literally, the Pantone looked the same <laughs> as Barney. And uh, like my buddy Ryan that I mentioned before, he when he kind of took over the role he's in now, he was like, "No, we gotta we gotta get a new color." So they actually updated the logo and the color and all of that. So now it's a much deeper, like <laughs> real beautiful purple. <laughs> That's cool. Um, okay, so I want you to make a selfish wish and a non-selfish wish. Okay, so I'm gonna go with non-selfish first. So non-selfish, okay. I'm going to wish that um, – how, how big can we go? Can we go really big? Oh, or big. Does, as, oh, big, big? As, big yeah, as big as possible. Yeah, yes. I'm going to say, oh, man, because every non-selfish wish is a little bit selfish. Because, that, you know, like <laughs> the way that I see it obviously is like in a very um, – I don't, I don't want to say Buddhist, but in a way where we kind of see – that everything affects everything. Like there is this real mm -hmm. butterfly effect, you know, like right now I can post something online and it, people in China see it and it affects the way people in China think. And then that, you know, so like the butterfly mm -hmm. effect is more evident in 2020 than it has ever been. And so I think that anytime I, I want something good to change or I see somebody um, or I help somebody make the world a little bit of a better place or make their life a little bit of a better place, they're living in this world that I'm living in. So it all comes back and, and affects me as well. Like, a rising tide, you know, raises all ships. So something that is not super about me, I would say to get rid of all the borders. I think that Ooh. borders are literally super arbitrary, created by white men in the past. Nobody else had a say about them. Um, and we need to, we just need to abolish the borders, just period. And I think nations are a prison. They trap people in, they keep people out. Um, and they're extremely harmful. And we're seeing, you know, even in, in this country we're standing in, um, people being, I mean, people were slaughtered to by the by the hundreds of thousands and millions to, to create these borders. And people are still dying over them. And then people are being, kids being put in cages, et cetera, et cetera, because of these fucking borders. So my, I guess, non-selfish thing would be to get rid of the borders. Um, and then my very selfish one would be... Um, that uh i don't know i feel like i have everything i want you know um <laughs> i have two cats and they cuddle a lot and it's like what, what the fuck more can i need you know um <laughs> selfish one let's just say uh 
more vegan options everywhere. I love that. Those are both amazing wishes. I what also wish be, for both of those yours? things. Um, for non-selfish, honestly, I, I, it goes, it ties into the law that I want. I wish there was just UBI for everybody everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, just to empower more people. So, um, for selfish wish. Uh, I mean, <sighs> I wish that it's, it's hard because I, I feel you like n- even the non-selfish wishes are selfish. And I feel like my selfish wish is also non-selfish because i just want everyone to be vegan (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, that's so non-selfish i would say the ubi is even more selfish because it's going to make it that you know we're going to have a safer world people are going to be less you know greedy less hungry less stressed out less anxious and all that's going to come back and help you whereas obviously veganism will as well but i mean i mean that's the one thing that gets me when people have something negative to say about veganism where they're like vegans are annoying or vegans are this because that and it's like obviously they're saying that solely because of they they don't want to face their own um implicitness in in not being vegan but that said um i think that how how in the fuck can anybody be mad about or feel any type of way about somebody who's fighting for one thousand percent for somebody else's rights you know it's like, yeah. it doesn't help me to be vegan. My life is, I can say, admittedly harder and not as good because I'm not vegan. I gotta, I've got been to almost every country in the world. I got to go way out of my way to get food. I got to go way out of my way to, you know, make sure everything that I buy is, is, um, isn't vegan. And it's like, or is vegan and everything becomes more complicated. You, you get rid of the idea of, of things being easy. And so... Mm-hmm. I would say like, you know, that's something that's so, that's not selfish at all to make everybody vegan. That's, that's a hundred percent not about you at all, you know, but I guess you gave the caveat of it not being really about you anyway. So touche. Um, I, I'm definitely excited about seeing veganism grow and it's cool being able to talk to another person who's been vegan for a really long time too. So thank you so much. For Thank taking you. the time to talk with me today, is there anything Wait, that you would like to plug? Yeah, yeah, I want I want one more hard question. You want another hard question? Yeah, okay, yeah. I'll give you on another the spot. Hard you got to think of one. You got to think of one. You can't. Okay, be I, I'm ready. All right. So, what is one question that you wish people would ask you during a podcast that they wow, haven't asked you? That's a fucking really good question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I think I wish people would ask me more about my own responsibility and things. I think that I get away with a lot. Like I hold myself really accountable, but people don't hold me accountable enough. And I think that, you know, being a like literally straight white male with an American passport, I have the most privilege. I'm the 0.00001% at the very top, you know, and anybody that thinks money is the only thing that makes privilege is fucking stupid. It's like, there's mm-hmm. all of these other factors, you know, you can be the wealthiest mm-hmm. black man in the world and you're still going to experience fear when a cop pulls you over. You're still going to experience racism when you walk into a room and that's, I am the default and I, I know that. And I wish people, I don't want to say took me to task more on it, but I wish people held me and people who look like me more accountable because like I said, I get away with a lot and I have a lot of privilege. And for me, 
privilege is power. And obviously, as the old saying goes, with great power comes great responsibility. And I don't think that people hold me as responsible as they should for, for the things that we're, we're, we're facing in this world today. So I wish people asked more questions around that. How would you like people to hold you accountable? Um, I mean, I think holding somebody accountable is a tough one, you know, especially like I'm sure you can relate when you think about talking to people about being vegan and stuff like that, because most people's accountability um, falls back to legality. And I don't I don't think within a legal framework, I often think within or I pretty much only think within a moral framework. And so I don't care if something is legal or illegal. I'm going to do what I think is right, even if it's illegal. And obviously the laws change when the borders change and my morals don't. And, and that goes for everybody. So, you know, you've got white women in America who will go to, you know, let's say Oman or something or somewhere in the Middle East and don't, they, they have some feeling around women having to wear something over their head and yet, you know, and they don't want to wear it. Yet when the tables are turned, they get upset about it. And so I think that like, we just need to, we need to think we need to step outside of ourselves and think about the privilege we have. And then we need to address those privileges. And we need to think about how we are the things that we're getting away with just on the default, you know, and like myself being a very good example. And so I just wish people would kind of, yeah, I mean, bring those things, point those things out to me. I know it's not like anybody's job to teach me, um, especially somebody else who doesn't have as much privilege as me, but I do wish people would just kind of sit me down and say, Hey, Phil, you're doing this wrong. Here's what you're doing. That's hurting. And, and I don't want to say like everybody and anybody, but especially the people who are close to me. And, and there is a lot that do and make me a better man every day. But I just wish people would kind of um, feel, I wish, I wish women, I wish trans folks, I wish non-binary folks, people of color. I wish anybody that's not like a straight white man um, had more space in this in this world we call a community, you know, to be able to call shit out and say shit with no fear of, of retribution, no fear of their, um, their legacy or their reputation being tarnished or hurt. And are, we're able to, to say things like women are victims of sexual assault and other forms of violence. And then again, are a victim again, because they can't even call this shit out. And I want mm-hmm. somebody to be able to say, hey, Phil, what the fuck are you doing? Like you supporting this thing, you buying this thing, you saying this word is problematic. Knock it off, you know? Mm-hmm. So just I some tough say, love. Yeah, I would Sometimes say some tough love. It. And it's like nobody should feel bad about giving fucking white guys some tough love, you know? Not <laughs> not, to, not to make it sound like I'm, I'm fucking pathetic or something because i'm not like i have it all like i have it all you can't just you can throw all the shots and all you'll do is put some chinks in my armor and and it's like uh i still will be having more privilege in this in this world so i would say bring it on and and call me on my shit and when somebody sees me doing something wrong or something that i could do better i hope everybody's feels comfortable coming to me and saying hey don't do this do this better you know Well, I really appreciate that you're open to people calling you out because I feel like so many people just kind of get defensive, but that's, that's really, I appreciate that. Yeah. People are defensive. It's okay. I mean, it's, it's okay for me. And I always feel comfortable calling people out, especially like 
being in spaces that are maybe I don't find myself in all white spaces really, but I find myself in all male spaces often. And when I'm in those spaces, it's important to say, Hey, look, that's not okay. We're not going to do the locker room talk or the, this or the, that, like we're just point period. We're not going to talk about women that way. We're not going to say these kind of words about people of color, whatever it may be. Um, and so I, th- I just think that people need to to call out the fuck shit more often <laughs> to say it. <laughs> I love that. Is there something Those you really can plug? I want you to plug something. You want me to plug something? Yeah, what do, we, what do you got to plug? Oh, my God. Can you plug something first? Um, I, ooh, uh, let me think. Uh, I have one thing that I'm really excited about. I'm doing some um, shoes with a brand called Viron, V-I-R-O-N. And they're based out of Paris. They are all vegan. Everything they make is mm. is for the most part, either upcycled or plant-based, um, meaning that they use like literal leathers made out of plants, mushrooms, things like that. So what they're doing is like super cutting edge technology from a very um, respectable and interesting background of, of people working within it. So the designer is an absolutely incredible designer. The folks working in sales are amazing. So it's just like where they're coming from in fashion and what they're doing is, is for me, the future of fashion. So I'm really excited about that. Um, so I'll, I would say if I'm going to plug something, let's make it that. That's really cool. That's awesome to hear about. Yeah. Can um, you give me a plug? Yeah. Wait, I want, how, how about something different? How about name? Tell me somebody whose work I should take the time to look at. Or two people, let's say two people. Like, is there a book? Is there something you should say I should dig into? Hmm, let me think. Send me down the rabbit Uh, hole. Oh, man. Honestly, I've just been consuming a lot of podcasts. Okay. What's a good Um, one? And I'm I'm a big fan of This Might Get Uncomfortable. Oh, wow. Um. Uh, Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. Um, they're both vegan as well. They oh, wow. tackle a lot of potentially uncomfortable topics. Um, so yeah, I really I appreciate them digging into things that people might not usually feel comfortable talking about. Okay, I subscribe. Um, the the beauty nice. of like doing this stuff on on um, online from different places is that you can just be doing something else, and now I can subscribe to things. In the <laughs> podcast studio. Very convenient. Very convenient. Um, let's see what else. Mm. Also, I I really enjoy things that just make me laugh. Like I do spend a good bit of time consuming content that I feel like can better me and that I can learn from. But also, I do really just appreciate uh, silliness. Uh, because I feel like laughter is, it really is the best medicine. And I mean, it, it literally does change your body chemically. Um, so I like listening to a podcast called Dynamic Banter um, okay. when I'm like working out and stuff. Because I feel like uh, it makes my workouts go by so fast just when I'm laughing. <laughs> Dynamic Banter. Is it my, with Mike and Steve? Yes. Okay, cool. Subscribe to this one too. We'll definitely nice. check them out. Um, I have a friend uh, named Isadora Kalela. Uh, last name is C-A-L-E-L-L-A. And she has a art to activism podcast that's amazing. So if there's any other podcast you want to check out, I would suggest that one. I'm definitely going to go follow that right now, too. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I appreciate you so much for being on my podcast. It's been a pleasure. Um, nice to officially meet you as well. <laughs> you too. And thank you for taking the time. I owed you a favor because so you you actually helped me out with the project that I was working on. So um, I'm excited about this. Yeah, it worked out. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you had as much fun as we did. Don't forget to follow at Dream and Love Podcast on Instagram and at Dream and Love Pod on Twitter for podcast previews and more. Dream on.